What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with TJ Adeshola, the head of sports at Twitter. We discuss creative ways to get a job in sports, the growth of Twitter spaces, how Twitter partners with various leagues and teams, the athletes that utilize social media the best, and more. This was an awesome conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their smart garments clothings called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go or on a run. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in your app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it, like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you are wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now, and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. But here's the best part. Whoop is now offering 15% off of their all-new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code JOE at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com. Enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Optimize your performance with the all-new Whoop 4.0 today. Next up is Public Rec. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with thousands of others, are wearing these, and trust me, they live up to the height. Finally, a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans. Now, your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30 plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live 24-7 US-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code Joe. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. All right, TJ, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? I'm doing incredible, man. You know, I'm fresh off a, a national championship, so I feel I feel really good. The timing uh, for this conversation couldn't be better, but uh, it's, been a, it's been a pretty cool week. For the people that are listening to this, TJ, before he jumped on the camera, he went in through a Georgia sweatshirt on and he insisted on doing the interview in a Georgia sweatshirt. He is a graduate of Georgia and obviously Georgia just won the national championship. So congrats are in order. 
He was at the game, obviously, having an incredible time, and I was super jealous. Yeah, I mean, I know this is the championship-level podcast, so I figure <laughs> if I'm going to bring championship energy, I better wear a championship sweatshirt. So here we are. I love um, that. <laughs> I love that. All right, let's start with, for people who are asleep at the wheel and do not know who you are, <laughs> let's start with some background. You're the head of sports at Twitter now, but what were you doing previously and what are you up to now? My first entry into the sports business space was at ESPN. I got an internship at ESPN. It's actually a wild story. I'm gonna give you a little background. When I was at the University of Georgia, I stayed there for graduate school and we had college game day coming to town. We were playing Auburn. And as you know, college game day, they start their operations super early. So I woke up around five or six. I went to the student center, which is where they were taping college game day from. And I just hovered. I hovered for two hours. I'm like, I got to find the person who's the decision maker because I'm pull up on them and I'm going to figure out if I can get an internship or a job. That was my goal. So I got up at five. I went to Zoom Center. I met this gentleman named Dave who looked like he was calling the shots. I said, look, I've been pleasantly and respectfully stalking the operation. You're the boss. I need to get your email address so I can get an internship. And he was kind of taken aback, but I, he was old school. So he liked the fact that I was scrappy and I wasn't shy about it. That led to an internship at ESPN, which then led to a full-time job. So I started working in the audio space, audio programming with Colin Cowherd, Mike and Mike in the morning, Scott Van Pelt's radio show. I then transitioned to our business operations marketing group, working specifically on digital. So ESPN.com, watch ESPN.com, which at the time was ESPN3.com and then turned to ESPN360.com. But we started doing a lot of stuff in the streaming space and we started working with social specifically. I remember creating business plans to sell tweets, ESPN tweets, which was intriguing to me. That kind of led to my curiosity around social. I love it. And that's a good point. This is kind of off script to some degree, but like one of the questions I always get asked by people who are looking to get into sports is exactly that. Like, how do I do it? There's just so many people from a demand side that it doesn't fit the supply. There's just not enough jobs for how many people want to do it. And I think that that's an amazing story because there's so many people that have stories like that, right? I think maybe not to that level, but like you're literally sitting outside college game day trying to find someone and bugging them for an internship. How has your perspective on that changed? Like working in sports today, is there better advice or is it still like find a way to get in any way you can? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, man. I mean, I think what we all have the same opportunity to be a student of the game. We can all hop on Google and learn who the CEO of that is, who the head of partnerships over there is. But this sports space, because it is so familial, it is such a tight-knit community it requires intentionality around building relationships, networking, and identifying who the people are that hold the keys. What I love now is that like when I was coming up, there was only a few people who held those quote unquote keys. The rooms were really, really small. There was no head of sports at Twitter. There's no head of sports at Snapchat. These apps didn't even exist. But as the industry is evolving and as the industry is growing, the face of the leaders of the industry also changing. So there are no shortage of opportunities for people who have an affinity for the business of sports to find an entry point. At the time, it was like television networks and maybe like teams, leagues. That was it. 
Now you've got networks, you've got social properties, you've got content properties, you've got folks working on the NIL space, you've got blockchain, crypto, and I like the whole nine. The space is expanded considerably. So yeah, man, there's no shortage of opportunities. I think it just requires A, knowing the game, being a student of the game, and B, not being afraid to build relationships and shooting your shot when opportunities present themselves. Yeah. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is you're at Twitter now, right? You're the head of sports. And as you mentioned, these didn't exist previously. There was no head of sports at Twitter. There was nothing at Instagram. There was nothing at Snapchat that the apps just literally didn't exist. And now you're in this unique spot because the way I think about it is there's networks, right? These leagues have always had network partners that broadcast the game and do a lot of distribution for them. There's advertising partners. They've worked with these people for 50, 100 or more years. And you guys are in this unique spot where you guys are driving more distribution than probably anyone, right? There's constant conversation on Twitter about the NFL, the MLB, every sport in the world. And the fans are communicating and they're acting as kind of marketing partners for these leagues inadvertently. How do you see your guys' role in this whole ecosystem of sports? I'll tell you, <laughs> I think that's why I got a lot of friends in the industry. I got a lot of homies in the industry. And it's primarily because my team is set up to help. We exist to support the best sports properties across the world. If you are a sports property and you're looking to expand your reach, you're looking to identify existing and current fans, you're looking to innovate, you got to be on Twitter. Straight up, you have to be. Your fans are there, sports audiences are there, your players are there, your leaders are there, journalists are there. It's a community that requires thoughtfulness, but it it requires intention. So our job is to make sure that these properties, these publishers are equipped with the tools to achieve their objectives from a marketing perspective, from a revenue perspective, by way of using Twitter. So I don't really need from our partners. I want for them to know how to use Twitter. I want for them to understand the value that we offer them in the marketplace. And I want them to do dope stuff on the platform ultimately, because I think that elevates all tides. So it's a really interesting place, but ultimately like we are the homie, we're the companion and we're here to help you achieve whatever goals you're looking to achieve. That's probably not a bad spot to be, being yeah. the, uh, the homie right in the middle. Um, <laughs> when it comes to that, and I don't want you to upset anyone, so you can kind of say what you want, but has every league realized this by now, right? Like are all the leagues like, hey, we need Twitter, we need to be on Twitter, we need to be interacting with our fans, or are there some leagues, maybe domestically, internationally, that are like still not there yet? That's a good question. The word need, when you said that, it kind of popped out at me and I'm trying to run through my head the last time I heard a publisher or a partner say need. And quite honestly, I think we hear it in different ways. I think publishers tell us like Twitter is imperative. We have to use your platform to achieve our respective objectives. A few weeks ago, we had a a meeting with Commissioner Goodell and he very transparently was like, I know our audiences are on your platform and it's important for us to not only tap in with those existing audiences, but identify new and prospective audiences that we know are also on your platform. You're a real-time platform. You're the conversation layer of the internet. So we understand the value in Twitter for us, which is partly why we have such a great relationship. So to answer your question more directly, I think most, if not all, sports properties understand, you know, I got to do this. I think where the gap is, is understanding how sometimes. The NBAs, the NFLs, the ESPNs, they're so mature, 
but there are some properties that are like, I know we need to develop a strategy for you. I know we need to use you with intent. Not sure what the best tactics are for us to establish a voice and to reach out to our fans on your property. That's why I'm employed because me and my team help them do that. Yeah, that's where you guys come in. So let's talk about Twitter spaces real quick. I think everyone is familiar with Clubhouse that blew up, I guess, maybe a year or even two now at this point. It was live audio is the first real app that captured a bunch of market share doing this. You guys quickly developed and shipped a product that was live audio on Twitter. I think it went live at some point last year. I don't know what month exactly, but it's blown up and has become much more relevant, at least in my personal life and my perspective, being on Twitter most of the time. So like, how does Twitter spaces fit into the sports world? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I want to say almost two years ago, we rolled out a platform or feature called Voice Tweets. And I always liken it to like the old school Azure machine where you press record and you can send out a tweet and users can click on it and listen to whatever your audio was. And we kind of rolled it out in a manner that would allow users to test it. And it was interesting to see the creative ways with which users were we're leveraging the voice feature. And I think at that moment, Kayvon, who runs our product and has been really bullish on audio for a long time, was like, wait a minute, we got something here. And we became really intentional about what the opportunity was around audio on Twitter. So as I think about sports and audio, you know, I was talking to somebody about this college football specifically. So we use college football as an example. If you're a college football fan, There's one thing that you know about college football fans. The the really leaned in ones are no strangers to message boards. Like those cats are on message boards. We just lost four-star kid to Alabama and he's going to Arkansas and all that good stuff. Like that exists on those message boards. What Twitter Spaces has allowed is for these communities that exist by way of blogs, by way of message boards, by way of traditional websites, It allows for these communities to converge and have conversations around a shared like, around a shared passion of theirs. So if you are a fan of the University of Michigan or the University of Georgia, you can hop on Twitter spaces and say, hey, what does signing day look like for us? We have a defensive coordinator who just went to the University of Oregon. Who are we going to hire? Who are we looking at? It also allows for a communal space of grieving. We've seen a lot of Twitter spaces where people are like, man, I don't know if our coach is it, or I'm really excited about this player that we just signed. So what it does is it just enhances and really humanizes the sense of community that has always existed on Twitter. But now you're hearing a voice. It is different when you're hearing somebody's voice. You're hearing the passion, you're hearing the inflection and what they feel about a specific topic as it relates to something that they care about. So I envision, especially within the the sports community, that spaces will continue to be a huge hit. These properties have been building audience on Twitter for a really long time. Athletes have been building audience on Twitter for a really long time. Journalists and fans have been building audience on Twitter for a really long time. Spaces allows them to tap into those audiences in a completely new and personal way. And it doesn't require you to put on makeup or it doesn't require you to put on a fit or Georgia sweatshirt, even though you should always have one on. You could just hop into space wherever you're at and tap into live conversation. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, I think you hinted at it without saying it, but the craziest one I think I've been in is the day that Jackson State stole 
Travis Hunter from Florida State, the top recruit in the country. I think that was the day. That was a pretty wild day. That was pretty. I, I like to use the term flipped as opposed flipped, to stole. Yeah, you know what but, I mean. Yeah. The, I, I, I'm using day. I'm using the terminology that the Florida State fans and were using. Use, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was influenced. And, and, and they use a lot more terminology to be yeah. clear. To be clear. Yeah, they flipped him to Jackson State, and I think there was a room of like five or seven or ten thousand Florida State fans that were just so upset. And to your point, you could really hear the passion, right? And it's different than a tweet. It's different than a message board. It's much more emotional and kind of intentional, which I think was why that room resonated with so many people. And like, you know, I don't care about either of the teams necessarily. It was humorous for me and it was enjoyable because you could hear kind of the emotion and see how upset or how happy some of these fans were. I remember sitting in that space. I'm like, yo, this is some shit. This is like a really special feature right now these fans are grieving as a collective together and in some instances some fans were like yo it's gonna be all right like walk outside take a breath of fresh air we're gonna figure this out like to see these fans actually encourage each other and provide guidance to each other and suggestions to each other it was fandom irl it was fandom like the voice of it it was it was nuts it was it was cool yeah So when it comes to the growth of Twitter spaces, do you guys see this as something that's more kind of in the moment, like the example we just used with Florida State, or is it kind of pre-programmed things, working with talent or leagues, et cetera, to have pre-scheduled spaces? So I think it'll be both. Man, our superpower is real-time conversation, real-time engagement. If LeBron has a crazy dunk, people are going to tweet about that crazy dunk. If there's a game-winning touchdown catch, People are going to tweet about that game when they touchdown catch. So real-time reaction, real-time engagement is something that I think is core to Twitter in a way that doesn't exist with any other platform in the space. So the spaces that hop in on, yo, can you believe this is happening? Can you believe this just happened? Those will always be a hit. But I also think there's a really cool opportunity for, for fans, for journalists, for users, for, for publishers to pre-plan stuff too. The NBA, for example, is doing weekly spaces where they'll have a conversation with an NBA great or an NBA legend. And that develops this muscle memory for appointment viewership where you're like, oh, the NBA is live right now. And they're having a conversation with Jason Williams, aka White Chocolate, about how he revolutionized the league. So I think it'll be a mixture of, of both. And we're starting to see that a lot more on the platform where power users just want to have conversation. And sometimes those conversations vary from week to week. And then sometimes something crazy will pop off or something really big will occur that folks will want to hop in on the space and have an impromptu and organic discussion. Yeah, someone just says, hey, let's jump on spaces real quick. But you touched on it briefly there, which was the idea of the NBA doing these kind of weekly or appointment viewing spaces. In these brand partnerships that you guys are working out with these sports properties, are they requesting this type of access now? Or is this something where they're just kind of testing out and seeing kind of how many people are viewing and what attention it's getting? Initially, it was, all right, let's test this out. It seems fun. It seems new. We routinely get partners saying, what's next? What's next? What's next? Can we try this? Can we be the guinea pig for this? Can you give us a call if you're rolling out a new feature or new functionality? So there's an affinity from all of our partners to be the quote unquote first to do something. 
So when we roll out things like spaces or fleets, RIP fleets, we tend to get a considerable amount of inbound. Like, all right, how should we be thinking about this? How should we use this? Do you have best practices? What does success look like? So we get those questions quite often. So initially it was like, all right, I'm going to try this thing out. And then those conversations evolved to, hey, I saw how such and such used the space. I saw how that property used the space. I saw that there was a talent show on spaces. I saw that Kevin Durant organically hopped into a space to talk to fans about basketball. I see Jamal Crawford doing it on a week-to-week basis. Do you have any best practices for me? How should I be thinking about it? And now, you know, folks are thinking about how to use the platform or the feature to be disruptive, which is really, really cool. So it's still in its early phases, but we're iterating and shipping all types of new features for spaces on a week-to-week basis. I think it's going to be core to our experience. The timeline is always will always be the bread and butter and the main event. But Spaces adds a special additive sauce to what Twitter can provide to all of our, our, our users, all of the folks who come to our platform each and every day. So we're excited about it and it feels like the, the broader industry is too. Yeah, it feels like it's certainly gaining some momentum at least. So let's talk about activation. Hey, sorry to cut you off. So much momentum that you and I are going to hop on the space in one of these days. You just got to tell me the topic, baby. We, I'm ready we, to roll. We, we I want to huddle up. I want to huddle up recap in spaces from time to time. Because you, you give on. us heat. Yeah, we, I see we, the merch. I see we, the merch. we agreed to that before the camera started rolling. So we'll see. <laughs> nah, I'm messing with you. We're going to jump on a space. Everyone come listen. When TJ and I jump on a space, you guys right. better join. So let's talk about activations. I think one yeah. of the interesting things you guys do is you're super creative when it comes to how you work with these leagues and these these events, really. So if it's a Super Bowl, the college football playoff was a great example, the national championship game. I think you had tweets on the newspapers, right? So the athletes right. are holding up the newspapers after the game like they normally do. And it had Twitter's tweets literally on the papers. Mm-hmm. So walk me through just kind of whether it's that or whether it's something else with a different league. How do these activations start and how do they go? Like, what is the process to not only creatively thinking about something like this, but executing on it? Yeah. So to take a step back, our team has multiple functions. One is support. How do we help properties accomplish what they need to accomplish on Twitter? Like they may need a handle swap. They may need verification. Really don't want to say the word verification on this podcast, but here we are. How many times do you get asked a week or a month or a year to get verified by someone? I mean, daily, multiple times a day, (laughs) multiple times a day. And sometimes it's my own family. That's what's that's when you you know it's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Support day to day stuff. Two is revenue. How can we work with this partner to help them drive revenue off of their Twitter activity? So the NBA, we work with them to create sponsorships off of their Twitter usage, NFL, ESPN, that type of thing. Revenue is a really, really big priority to sports partners, shocker. So that has become like a real key function as to how we work with the folks in the space. Well, conversely, in addition to the revenue bucket is innovation, which is what you're talking about. And innovation is the stuff that gets people excited. Innovation is the stuff that gets the group chats. Innovation is the stuff that is covered by Adweek and Complex and ESPN. So when we sit with our partners, our question is always, how can we help? What objectives are you looking to achieve? And in many instances, partners will say, hey, we've got this tentpole activation. That we've got the Super Bowl. We've got All-Star. We've got season tip. 
this is our 75th year if you're in the NBA or last year with the WNBA, this is our 25th season. How can we commemorate that and help bring that to life on Twitter? So that's when a bunch of smart people on the Twitter side get in a room. We tap in our marketing folks, our social folks, our partnerships folks, and we we try to create like bespoke and custom programs for for our partners that will ultimately be of mutual benefit. So a couple of years ago, we had a conversation with the NFL. They're like, hey, what can we do with Twitter to like really drive disruption? And somebody said, like, you know, at the end of the game, the confetti drops. What do we do there? And then that turned into a light bulb moment. And somebody was like, can we actually put tweets on Super Bowl confetti? Fast forward a few months later, when Patrick Mahomes is hoisting the trophy, he's being showered with tweets of confetti. And one of those pieces of confetti or one of those tweets was him saying, I can't wait to be the guy who says I'm going to Disney World. You mentioned this with the national championship this past week. We launched this thing called the Twitter Tribune with ESPN and the college football playoff. And the objective was really simple. Like, how do we inject fans who tweet about Alabama, who tweet about Georgia, who tweet about college football on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis? How do we bring them to the national championship? Hey, we can do it by way of tweets. So we created this Twitter Tribune. Shout out to ESPN, who really helps drive the concept here. And the idea was that if you're a player, you open that thing up and you're reading, go dogs. You're my favorite player. We can't wait for you all to win the national championship. And it feels good. If you're a fan who gets selected to be in that newspaper, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at the national championship, kind of. And I have a memento that I'll forever be able to associate with this particular moment. A few years ago, the World Series, we put tweets on actual World Series baseballs, and we sent them out to the users who submitted the tweets in the first place. So we try to bring fans closer to the game. We try to bring players, teams, and athletes closer to their fans by bridging that gap with a lot of these co-marketing kind of disruptive and innovative ideas. So you mentioned working with the players and the teams and the leagues on kind of bringing them, bridging the gap towards the fans. When it comes to players specifically, individual athletes, will you guys work with individual athletes to expand their brand on Twitter or to connect them greater with fans? Like walk me through kind of how players and athletes think about that. It's a mixed bag, right? So the answer is yes. As a part of our work, we work with athletes directly. We also work with agencies who represent athletes. So there's a young lady on the sports team named Brantley Fields. She's incredible. Her job, quite honestly, is to deepen our relationships with athletes, but help athletes know that they've got a real human being at Twitter who can help them be better on Twitter or who can help them when stuff happens. (laughs) So that is very much a priority for us and very much an important function of what we do. But it varies, man. Like some dudes just don't use social media and that's cool. Some dudes are really, really, really savvy on social and their teams reach out to us on a consistent basis and say, Hey, this guy wants to use Twitter this way. What do you all think about this? When Tom Brady launches Twitter two years ago now, two and a half years ago, we had conversations with this team about the importance of voice and the importance of being unique and it feeling authentic. Fast forward a few years later, he's one of the like most hilarious athletes on the platform, you know, so We routinely engage with athletes, with agencies. Sometimes it's an agency who represents a bunch of athletes and it's 
more broader best practices and here's what success looks like. Sometimes players will hit us up and be like, yo, I need to talk to somebody. One time Alvin Kamara hit me up like, hey, what do you think about this? Let's have a conversation. And we had a conversation and I love to see stuff like that. I love to see athletes just so involved and so invested in their voice and their platform that they'll reach out directly and say, hey, I'm curious about this. What are your thoughts? That happens quite often. Is Kevin Durant the best on Twitter? <laughs> well, man, I'm from PG County and I've watched KD give people buckets his entire life. So I'm partial to Kevin Durant, but objectively, I don't see how you can say it gets better than KD on Twitter. Yeah. He's He gives you all of it. You've seen the progression of him on Twitter over the years. Obviously, the burner account stuff, but he's just funny, man. And, and when we wrote out spaces, he would hop in random spaces and talk to basketball fans as if they knew each other. Yeah. That, when I think about like fandom today, when I think about being an athlete in this era, part of the unique opportunity is engaging your fans in one-to-one ways that have never existed in the past. We always kind of talk about like, man, what would it be like if the Jordan era had Twitter or social media? I'll tell you one thing, it would look very different for better or worse. Very, very, very different. I mean, Jordan was such a savant and his team was so strategic that I'm sure that they would have found ways to use it in really special ways. Think about how LeBron uses social today. LeBron is very human on social media. He uses it just like everybody else. And I think that's part of what like people love. So Katie's hilarious, man. He's one of my favorite follows on the platform. And I will go on record and say that he's incredible. A year or two ago, Joel Embiid was a guy who just routinely was just hot take after hot take and spicy tweet after spicy tweet on Twitter. He sits down that down a bit, but Joel Embiid was one who who gets the power of social media for sure, too. There are dozens of them. Yeah, I love KD because I'll sit here for, you know, 30 minutes and try to think of a good tweet and structure it right and send it out. And then he'll just say, you're dumb <laughs> to a fan, right? He'll be like, <laughs> he'll be like you're an idiot. <laughs> and it'll, it'll go like super viral, 100,000 likes. Right. But to your point, it's funny you mentioned the space where he was talking to a fan because I think that was actually the first time where I listened to a space and I was like, oh shit, like I get the spaces, right? Like you do it and you have fun with it and it's good. But to see an athlete of his caliber, he was literally in a room talking trash to like a regular person about his game of basketball. He's like, you don't understand. It's got to go this way and this and this. And it's really when you think about it, it's crazy because that's one of the only ways that you can communicate like that from a fan to kind of a star athlete perspective. Yeah, and we've all seen it, man. It's easy to talk spicy and say it with your chest when you're in the basement and you send out a tweet. It hits very different when you're actually talking to KT or he actually walks by a person. Are you going to use the same tone? Probably not. So I loved the fact that he was like, all right, like, why do you think I shouldn't have left Golden State? What do you think about that? Why do you think the offense was better suited here for me versus over there or vice versa? It was cool to just hear him talk hoops. That was pretty cool. And I don't think he's the type to sit there and say, here's my social media strategy. Yeah, That's not even it. He's like, I'm a regular dude and I want to have regular conversations about hoop. I want to have regular conversations about music and culture and sneakers. 
as evidenced by his podcast with Eddie Gonzalez, et cetera. So that's what I love, man. He's just human. He's regular. And you're like, man, he's kind of he's kind of like us, you know? Yeah. And it's funny too, because I think people naturally say that's why it works. They say he's human and, and that makes sense. But we've seen both sides work. To your point, Tom Brady is one of the best at it. And he's probably taken a much more calculated strategy of he's funny and he's definitely human, but he's not kind of just spitting out replies here and there messing with people either. So it's interesting because you can see both ends of the spectrum of, hey, I think the most important thing is probably just to be involved, right? And to be on the platform and to be sharing. And if that's what you want to do, then do it. If it's not, then don't. But it's interesting to see kind of how these athletes have used it to their advantage. One of the other things I want to talk about quickly is NIL. So name, image, and likeness has obviously changed in college. How is Twitter involving themselves? Is it kind of on the base layer, hey, we're going to give you a platform to market yourself and build an audience and do some of these brand deals and things? Or is it greater than that? Yeah. So I would say there are a few ways that we are involved in the NIL conversation. First of all, NIL is wild. It's crazy to actually watch it unfold. We've talked about it for years. Should college athletes get paid? I'm on record. I've always believed that they should. So I love seeing that this is coming into fruition. But once the levy broke, it was like it became like crazy. So to watch this in real time has been really interesting. I was really intentional and I chatted with my team about it. Twitter is going to play a role in NIL simply because brands are going to look for these athletes to fulfill their brand obligations by way of social. Twitter will be one of those tactics. So I wanted to make sure that we weren't late to the game. So we announced a partnership at the beginning of the season with Open Doors and essentially is a framework. It is a framework for athletes to be paired with brands who are interested in athlete content, and they can leverage their Twitter handles to fulfill those brand obligations on Twitter and actually make money. And we're really, really excited that we moved so quickly in that space because we know it's important and we know that these kids deserve an opportunity to benefit off their name, image, likeness. I'd also say that to the extent that the bandwidth allows, We've been really, really, really particular about empowering universities to have these conversations with their athletes. We've obviously been to the University of Georgia and Michigan and Oklahoma and, and several Power Five institutions to just kind of do a deep dive on Twitter and social media and how to use the platform, how not to use the platform, the importance of identifying or securing something that's close to your name as a handle, as opposed to get money four, five, six, seven, eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we try to provide the ABCs and we try to provide education where possible because it starts with education. And then once they become a bit more knowledgeable as to what the opportunities are, we know that Twitter becomes an avenue for them to generate money off of their NIL. So we're excited to play a role in the process. I'm pumped that these kids are being empowered in this way. So now it's really, really important for all of us collectively to get in education mode. So these kids are making the right decisions. So we're empowering them in the right way. And hopefully this becomes something that is of value to all of these kids, not just the top 2% athletes, but all student athletes across men's and women's college athletics. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things to sort out. There's people complaining all over the place, right? That some teams are offering certain things that other teams aren't offering or things may be illegal or be doing done wrong. But I think most importantly, players are now able to earn money off their NIL, which is 
bottom line, the most important fact. But if you're looking for a spicy take, I'm waiting for revenue sharing. That's what I'm waiting for. Because I'm seeing a lot of coaches sign these $10, $12 million deals out here that are equivalent to NFL coach salaries, and these players aren't getting any of that. So I think the conversation needs to continue to some degree, right? I think this is step one, but ultimately people should be compensated, right, for their talent and for what they're doing. It'll also be interesting, I mean, because the NCAA, in theory, exists as a quote-unquote governing body, but there's really no quote-unquote governing body that's dictating the swim lanes, the yays, the nays, the what is acceptable versus what isn't acceptable. This It's still really slippery across yeah. the board. So I'm curious to see what more structure will look like. Obviously, it's going to be trial and error. Like, we're going to learn that some things probably shouldn't have existed and, and some things should have existed. It's going to take time. But I hope that, to your point, that we start to evolve the conversation. And again, that it isn't just kids at the top institution that are benefiting from this, but it's student-athletes, men and women, that are benefiting from the opportunities of NIL. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was going to ask you, lastly, what the best sporting event that you've ever been to as someone who probably attends a lot of sporting events in your current job. But it sounds like that might have changed that answer over the last week. Yeah, I mean, it's been 41 long years, bro. It's been 41 long years. So I actually ran onto the field. I had a, a jacket that said national championships from 1942 and 1980. So I feel like I manifested it. But that aside, I've had the opportunity to attend some really incredible events. Tigers, Masters win in 20, is that 2019? Maybe, yeah, 2018. 2018, 2019, but a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was the one after a long comeback. So that, that was, was pretty special to watch Tiger come back on the world's largest stage and be Tiger Woods again. That was cool. I watched a gold medal world cup match in Brazil featuring Brazil and Neymar kicked a game winning penalty kick to feel that like that energy in Maracanã and Rio, that was pretty epic. So those are two that, that, that are pretty special to me. Stick out. Yeah, those are incredible. All right, before I let you go, where can people yeah. find you online? What's the Twitter account? Yeah, yeah, well, it starts and ends with Twitter, baby. Let's go. Um, <laughs> you on the timeline, it's at T-J-A-Y. Really easy, at T-J-A-Y. Yeah, and hit your boy up on Twitter. And I, I'd be remiss if we had this conversation that I didn't say, man. I told you this the first time we connected, but it's been really special to watch you use Twitter in such an amazing way to build the brand of the Huddle Up. The reality is it would be really hard to build your brand if you weren't building something that was worth building, but you're providing value to the timeline each and every day. Every time you tweet, it's like, wait, what did Pomp just say? Like, there's actual value in what you're providing to the timeline. I remember the first time I read the huddle up, I'm like, yo, this is good. I need to subscribe. And I think I need my team to subscribe too. But the fact that you've been able to bridge the gap between what you're doing with the huddle up and provide it in bite-sized pieces on the timeline, whether it's via thread or live tweeting, man, it's cool to watch, man. You've built it pretty fast, at least on Twitter, too. So I'm, I'm excited to see how you continue to use the platform to elevate all things huddle up yourself and really inform the sports business industry 
by way of Twitter, man. So kudos to you. I appreciate you, man. I think it just speaks to you guys too, right? In the aspect of not only are you enabling these leagues to get more distribution and you're, you're really the engine that drives all the live conversation, but you're enabling people like me. What I do wouldn't be possible without Twitter. It drives everything from engagement, obviously, and building a brand, but also newsletters, podcasts, all that kind of stuff that I do. So I appreciate you guys. You guys are doing incredible work. I don't think you probably get enough credit for it, but certainly I appreciate it. Yeah, when I have my performance review, I'm going to get the snippet. Can you clip this for we'll, me? We'll clip it and we'll ship it to you. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna send it to leadership. Give me a raise and then steak dinner on me. I got you. Double TJ up for me, guys. But I appreciate you coming on. We'll have to do it again soon. Yes, sir. Good talking to you. Enjoy the weekend. Go Dawgs.